passion for God and compassion for our neighbor, reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxis. Is our identity. The book of Ephesians begin by telling, begins by telling us that we are the most blessed beings in all of creation through Jesus Christ. That in eternity past, God purposed in his heart to put us together with Jesus. And that he would bless us richly and fully. More than any other being in all of creation, we would be blessed through Jesus Christ. And we deserve absolutely none of it. To be adopted as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ for all eternity. Now this is something we need to be reminded of. In fact, this is the title of our series. The title of this series is called, Who Am I? And the answer is, the most blessed being in all of creation through Jesus. We need to know this when we're trying to struggle to pay the bills, when we're trying to struggle to drain the basement, when we're trying to get the mud out of our garage, when we're trying to figure out how to put it all together because life seems so overwhelming and so oppressive and we feel like we're just a cog in a, in, a, in a really complex machine that doesn't make a difference. What we feel on one side needs to be counterbalanced by what we know is true. What the Bible tells us is of our incredible blessed identity through Jesus for all of eternity. In fact, death is not the worst moment of our lives. Death is actually the best moment of our life. And for all of eternity, the blessings just keep getting better. Now, the other thing we learned in this book is how we live. This is the second half of the book of Ephesians. How we live is to be a reflection of who we are, our new identity in Jesus. In fact, we have a distinctively Christian lifestyle. Our sexuality is different. Our words are different. Our attitudes are different. But the thing we have to remember, and so many people shipwreck it right on this point, we don't live a lifestyle, so a Christian lifestyle, so God will save us. We live a Christian lifestyle out of gratitude to God for having saved us. Remember we talked about this a long time ago. We go from grace to gratitude to bring God glory with our life. It's all a response out of thankfulness. Now, last week, we began the third and tiny section of the book, which is about spiritual warfare. We learned about the city of Ephesus, that it was really steeped in demonology and the occult, and it was the epicenter of witchcraft in the ancient world. And it was a great book-publishing place where people wrote about witchcraft and curses and spells and there was demon possession. It was a real dark place. And when Paul came into the city and he began preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God did its work and people were born again and the church began to grow, this church is growing in what is literally Satan's living room. And he is not happy about it one bit. And so Satan was uh, attacking back and providing trials and temptations for the church in Ephesus. And we learned last week a little bit about uh, demonology. And we also looked at the defensive weapons that we have available to us. We looked at the helmet of salvation and the blessed parade of righteousness. And we looked at um, the belt of truth and a number of other things. 
This morning, when we pick up our study, we begin in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, and we move from what are the defensive weapons to the offensive weapons, which are the Word of God and prayer. Now, oftentimes, we don't think much about this. The Word of God and prayer, offensive, powerful weapons, they are extremely powerful and essential for our walk with Christ. Now, I'm just going to give you a heads up of how we're going to end this message this morning. I'm going to end this message by giving us a challenge as a church. And the challenge is essentially that we would be um, making part of our life a regular time of prayer and a regular time in God's Word. Uh, Literally, this is the challenge I'm going to give you at the end of the message, that we would spend uh, for the month from now until the end of July, roughly one month, we would commit to 15 minutes of prayer a day and reading one chapter of the Bible a day and memorizing one verse of Scripture of your choice, of your length, once a week. It'll be a challenge of praying for 15 minutes a day reading one chapter of the Bible a day, and memorizing one verse of your choice once a week. And the challenge ends at the end of July. Not that I hope you would end those habits at the end of July, but at least commit to that period of time, and let's see if they stick. So let's go ahead and begin, and let's look at our study, the Word of God in prayer. Let's begin in your outlines. Why read my Bible? And Ephesians six seventeen starts out with, And the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. That the Word of God is like the sword of the Spirit. It's very powerful. And here's the first point I'd like to make. The Word of God is what gives victory in trials and temptations. We know that, uh, not all the time, but some of the time, that Satan and his demons are behind the trials and temptations we face in life. We saw this with Job the trial of losing his family and losing his business and losing his health. Who was behind all that? Well, God allowed Satan to hamper and produce the trials in Job's life. And temptations. Who is behind many of the temptations we face? Satan. Now, what we find is that the Word of God is a powerful combatant when we face those trials and temptations. We saw this uh, with Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. He spent, remember, 40 days in the wilderness. And was he going through a trial? Yes. The guy hadn't eaten for 40 days. I mean, Jesus is dangling between life and death. I can barely go between like 40 minutes without food. And here is Jesus with 40 days without food. And so he is weak. And it's in the midst of his times of greatest weakness when Satan begins to attack him with his sorest temptations. And remember some of those temptations. One was to turn the stones into bread, to use his divine power for himself. Another was just to, just to worship uh, Satan a little bit. Just bend the knee a wee bit. And you know what? I'll give my right to rule this world. I'll give it all to you, Jesus, so you can be ruler of this creation without having to go through the cross and defeating me. What a great temptation. I think at that moment of Jesus' life, I think it would look pretty good. But how did Jesus combat that? By quoting Scripture. Quoting, actually, obscure passages from the book of Deuteronomy. And what we find is that Jesus 
had spent time memorizing Scripture. He had committed God's Word to his heart. So in the times when he faced times of trials and when he faced times of tough temptations, he could quote the Scripture. And the Scripture was what would uh, beat the trials and temptations that he faced in his life. Now, I thought about this. We, we oftentimes read the Bible, but we don't spend much time committing it to memory. Now, when I was a teenager, and I went on a mission trip similar to what uh, Pastor Leland and Kathy are taking the kids on and some of the adults, I traveled with a group called Teen Missions International from Merritt Island, Florida. And I loved the mission trip part, going to Switzerland. But the one thing I wasn't really keen on is that with Teen Missions, they had this packet of memory verses and you had to memorize one every day. And by the way, this wasn't like you got to memorize the one on Monday and then forget the one on Monday, because on Tuesday, guess what you got quizzed on? Tuesday's verse plus Monday's verse. And on Wednesday, it was quizzed on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday's verse. So all summer long, we were memorizing Scripture and committing it to our heart. And I'll tell you, I did not like it one bit. I thought it was oppressive and it was mean. But now I look back on it and I wish I had learned more Scripture. Because those passages of Scripture that were committed to my heart when I was 15 years old approximately, they're the same passages of Scripture that come to mind all week long when I'm in my study preparing for sermons. They come to mind when I'm facing trials, when I'm facing temptations in life, and I want to give in. I repeat the Scripture to my heart, and I remind, me, I remind myself of the truth of God's Word. Like, for instance, one that I learned back then was 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able. But with each temptation will provide a way out that you can bear up under it. I face trials and I face temptations. I say, God is not going to let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. And He is going to provide a way out. I can trust Him in that. Just quoting Scripture. It's so important to memorize Scripture, to beat the trials and temptations, because it comes right back to our mind when we're faced with those things. Now, another point I'd like to make about the importance of having the Word of God woven into the fabric of your life is this. The Word of God brings conviction of sin and repentance. We find this in Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Here we find the Word of God is once again likened to a sword. And that when we read it, what it does is it pierces us. It goes deep into us. And it talks about, you know, bones and marrow, like cutting into the bone. And then it talks about going into our very thoughts, getting into our intentions of our heart. It dissects our very motives and brings us conviction of sin. I don't know how this has worked for you, but when I read The Daily Reporter from Spencer or I read Explore Okoboji from Spirit Lake, I haven't really been broken down with conviction of sin. The, the news articles don't do that to me. But God's Word, it's living. It's active. It convicts us of sin, and it changes our life. Let me give you an example. 
I've been in the ministry over 20 years, and one of the things I've discovered is that sometimes when you're talking with people, uh, and you're talking about an area of sin or something that the God's Word says, they'll turn and say to you, well, that's just your opinion. I'm entitled to my opinion. You're entitled to your opinion. So don't force your opinion on me. Well, one area that I often find is uh, when it comes to young adults and premarital sex. They're like, hey, well, everybody's doing it. So, you know, you can't tell me that it's wrong. That's just your opinion that it's wrong. Now, here's what I've learned when it comes to any of these issues. What you do is you get out your Bible and you write down verses, verses that pertain to the issue, and you write them down on an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, not just the reference. You write the full verse down. And then, you know, my little habit is I like to underline the important sections. I do it in your outlines all the time. I underline those sections and I turn the, turn the paper around and I give it to them and I say, hey, well, let's just look at what God's word says about this. And we read the scriptures together. And invariably, it gets quiet because all of a sudden, God's word is doing its work. It's piercing into the hearts, the thoughts, and intentions of someone's life. So God's word is what provides us conviction of sin and it brings us to repentance. It's, it's alive and it's active. Another thing I wanted to point out about the importance of weaving uh, God's Word into our life is that the Word of God is what creates spiritual life. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, how? Through the living and abiding Word of God. Spiritual life comes about from God's Word. Now, over the years, people have asked me, what is the best way to lead someone to Christ? Is it the four spiritual laws? Well, they're good. Is it that color method where you have black and then you have red and you have yellow and you have white? And it's a great way to use those colors to explain the gospel to kids. Is that the best way to do it? You know, how can we lead people to Jesus? And here's my answer. Just get them in the Bible. Get an easy translation of the Bible to understand, like the New Living Translation, which, by the way, if you want a copy, we sell them right at the Connection Center out in the foyer. Just get them in the Bible and just read through a book like Ephesians. Just read with them. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. You say, well, is that all it's going to take? The Word of God is living and active. The Word of God is what creates spiritual life. It's not our responsibility to create it. God will use His Word to do that. It's alive. By the way, this is one of the reasons that as a church we preach through Scripture. We go line by line, verse by verse. And the reason is because I believe that spiritual life will come about from God's Word as it is preached, as it is proclaimed. That's our strategy. That's our game plan. That's what we stick to. And not only does God's Word create spiritual life, but the Bible tells us that God's Word is what sustains spiritual life. That's the fourth point. Matthew 4.4 4 tells us, But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, how many of you would want to uh, skip meals? How many of you would like to skip a meal and only have one once a week? Most of us would be starving because we need physical bread for our physical life. 
And what the scriptures are telling us is that we need God's word. It's like spiritual bread for our spiritual lives. And that we don't just have spiritual life created by God's word, but spiritual life, folks, listen to this, it is sustained by our time in God's word. We need to be in God's word daily. And when we are in God's word, God nourishes us. He sustains us. He directs us and he steers us it is super important. And if we drift away from God's word, let me tell you what happens. We become much more narcissistic. In other words, all we care about is ourselves. We become more prideful. We become more selfish. We get filled with arrogance. It's like we, we drift and we reset ourselves by the culture of the world rather than the Spirit of Christ. We must be in God's Word every day. Now, what is the reason why most of us struggle to read our Bible? I'm going to give you one guess. What do you think? Come on. It's not illiteracy. Busy. We're busy. We're very busy people. And here's my challenge for you. Don't let my busyness push God's Word out of my life. We have to fight for time in God's Word. And we have to get up early. We have to set goals. This is the only way God's Word will naturally be in our life. And here's what I want to challenge you to do with God's Word. Read it. Read it. Uh, my, my challenge for you at the end of this message will be to read at least one chapter a day. Now, I know for some of you, you, you do what I do, which is there are two days a week when I'm not reading my Bible. Number one, it's Thursday, because Thursday is sermon day. And I get up, and from the moment I get up, I'm focused on writing my message. The other two, it's Sunday, because from the moment I get up, I'm focused on preaching that same message. <laughs> But otherwise, every morning it's I'm part of a, I'm reading part of the Bible. Right now, I've read through the Old Testament and on my second time through the New Testament this year. That's my goal. I set my goal and that's the pace I go after. Not only do we need to read it, but the other thing is to think about it. It's like we don't just stuff food into our mouth and swallow, do we? What do we do with it? We chew on it. Chew on God's word. That means when you read it, read it again. Read it slowly. Read it three times. Read it four times. Highlight it. Put notes in your Bible, whatever it takes to masticate on it. Uh, go ahead and have a journal and write down in your own words what that verse is saying to you. Because we can read it, but we don't necessarily digest it unless we chew on it for a while. And the longer we chew, the more it applies to us. And lastly is this. We talked about memorizing it getting in the habit of regularly memorizing verses of God's Word that God will use at times of trials and temptation. He brings back to our mind so we can do battle with Satan and we can do battle with discouragement. What does it say? Psalm 119.11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's exactly the strategy that Jesus followed when he was tempted for 40 days in the wilderness. Quoting God's Word. It's the same strategy we need. Now, we talked a little bit about the importance of weaving the Bible into the fabric of our lives. Let's look at the other side. Prayer. How should I pray? Ephesians six eighteen through 20 says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. 
To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought. How many of you uh, get those updates from the Caring Bridge? People who have cancer and you pray. How many of you get uh, updates off the prayer chain on the city here at the church? Okay, a number of you. And if you don't, by the way, I want to encourage you to be join the city, which is our social network system. It's a free to have an account. You can go to the prayer chain group and subscribe to that, and you get the prayer requests of people in the church. Now, oftentimes we say, like, why do that? Okay, so I'm going to stop what I'm doing. I'm going to take 30 seconds to a minute to pray for those needs, but... Is that going to make a difference? I mean, really? Or is it just gossip? Paul says here, pray. Please pray. Commit to praying. It does make a difference when we pray. That's his whole point here. Now let's look at some of these things. He says, pray all the time. He says, praying at all times. In other words, when you're driving in the car, what do we often do? Put on the radio. Maybe uh, turn off the radio and use that time in prayer to talk to God when we're driving. When you're shopping, pray. Pray about, would God have you buy this or would He have you buy that? Or maybe He would have you buy nothing at all, which is oftentimes what He tells me when I'm shopping, to save my money. The other thing is, when you're paying the bills, pray. Pray about the checks you write. If you're praying, you're writing a check, write it for somebody and pray for them. And when you're putting your kids to bed, pray over them. Pray a blessing over them as they go to sleep. I'll give you another example. As a husband, pray for your wife. Here's what I'd love to encourage you to do. You know how the alarm goes off and you both sort of get up and you're laying there and you're that half-conscious uh, comatose state. And as a guy, you get, hopefully we get up a little bit earlier than she does. And what I want to encourage you to do is just reach over, put your hand on her shoulder, and take just 30 seconds to pray a prayer of blessing over your wife. Pray that God would give her strength for the day. Pray that God would give her patience with the children. Pray that God would help her disciple the kids and that she would be a, a, a godly wife and a godly mother. Bless her and pray for her. Because the Bible tells us to pray about all things. Pray all the time. Let me give you another example. Have you ever gone on a prayer walk? This is something we haven't done this summer, but we've done it in previous summers. And it's one of the things we like to do as a family. We get out and we go for a walk and we pray. We pray for um, my parents. We pray, we pray for the church. We pray for the, the financial challenge. Anything that's going on, we pray about that as we're walking. Now, here's the neat part. We, we're guaranteed anonymity because we're always walking. So we're never, nobody's ever able to hear the rest of the conversation. And number two, it helps my kids because guess what? They sort of have that ADD thing from dad. Now, if I was to tell them to take a half hour to sit in the living room and pray, trust me, it would not work. But you go for a prayer walk. We can pray for the neighbors. We can pray for things. It's, hey, it's a great time to be outside, enjoy God's creation, and to pray. 
just give you an honest piece of truth here. Uh, when I come in in the winter, and if, I, if I'm able to begin my day for prayer, some people think, well, why don't you come into the sanctuary and sit down and like pray in front of the cross? And like, guys, that doesn't work for me. I have too much energy, even before I have my coffee. You know where I go? I go to the gym and I walk in circles and pray as I walk because that's just the way it works. And he says here, you know, pray all the time. And so that's what we do. Now, incidentally here, he says, pray all the time in the Spirit. I got to wondering, like, what does it mean to pray in the Spirit? I mean, is there a way to pray without the Spirit? And here's what I think is going on. Remember, Ephesus uh, was steeped in demonology. It was a major book-publishing platform on witchcraft and spells. And the idea was that if you would be able to get this book and read this spell, it was sort of like a prayer, a prayer that would be able to curse somebody. If you had to get it just right. Now, Paul says that Christian prayer is different. It's not about just getting the right saying and getting the right formula, and so you get a blessing from God. He says, no, we pray in the Spirit. And maybe you put it this way. We don't pray in mindless recitation. We pray in thoughtful conversation. We don't pray in mindless recitation. We pray in thoughtful conversation. It's not, let me give you 50 Hail Marys, and when I get to number 51, God will answer. We talk to God, and then we listen for the Holy Spirit to talk to our lives. And He brings something to mind, and we keep talking to God. And we go back and forth in a conversation. Now, occasionally in the church, we get guilty of this uh, mindless recitation when it comes to prayers. Sometimes you, people get little books on prayers, and they say these prayers, and I think like, that's the magic formula. When I grew up, my Aunt Kit, she would occasionally come, and we, we, she'd be at our house, and Aunt Kit had a German background. And I remember my parents would always ask Aunt Kit if she could say the prayer before the meal. And she'd say it in German. And it was the same prayer every time. In fact, she taught it to me. I memorized it. Her degnesina spicy on my army sindirami. Now, I asked my aunt one day, um, what does it mean? I never got an answer. I'm not too sure she even knew what it meant anymore. But that was the prayer. You had to say that prayer before a meal. And it boiled down to mindless recitation. Folks, it's about we pray all the time in conversation. Now he continues. He says, pray about every need. He says, with all prayer and supplication. You have a need, pray about it. You have a need for your house, pray about it. You're struggling with patience. Ask the Holy Spirit to bring you patience. You're struggling in your marriage. Pray about it. You're struggling with a test because you're a student. Pray about it as you're studying. Ask God to help you remember the information and to recall it well when it comes to the test. Struggling with anger. Pray about your anger. You need a car. Pray about that and ask God to provide. Maybe you're not married. So you're thinking, well, who do I pray about? Pray for your future spouse. And when God provides that spouse, you can say, you know, I've been praying about you years before I even met you. Pray about every need, the Bible says. Now, by the way, 
what do you think is typically our error? We pray too much or we pray too little? Well, I don't know about you. I'm afraid no one's going to answer on this one, but I think I pray too little. And the Bible tells us that oftentimes we don't have because we simply don't ask in prayer. James 4.2 tells us, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obt- obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. The Bible says simply pray about every need we have. God will answer prayer. Now this brings us to our third point from this text here. When it doesn't look like God is answering prayer, what do we do? Keep praying. And here's where the, the text says this. Uh, to that end, keep alert. In other words, don't fall asleep in prayer. With all perseverance, keep praying. What Paul is telling us is he, we should expect that there are times we are praying about things and it doesn't seem like God is responding to our prayers. And we feel like, why pray? Let's just give up. Because God doesn't seem to hear. God doesn't seem to answer. And he says, no matter what you need to do, stay awake. I mean, drink a cup of coffee and keep praying. Use caffeine. Luke 18 tells us the parable of um, the unjust judge. And the deal is you've got a widow and she needs justice. And so she comes to the unjust judge and uh, she complains to him and the deal is he sort of blows her off. The next day she comes back to him and complains to him and he blows her off. And it goes on for quite some time. So finally he's like, man, I just got to get this chick out of my hair. She's a complete annoyance. I'll just give her justice so she goes away. Many people think that's a parable of similarity. The idea is that... uh, if we're just such a pest to God, eventually he'll say, I'll just answer that prayer so he'll go away. And that's not a parable of similarity. It's a parable of contrast. In other words, if an unjust judge will give justice to a woman who's pestering him all the time, what will a just judge do for somebody that he loves and cares about? That's us. He will answer our prayers. In fact, I love the way uh, this section in Luke 18 ends. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? God will respond. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. But then he says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes... Will he find faith on the earth? In other words, will we still be praying when it seems like God's not answering? Keep praying. Keep seeking him. He will answer. By the way, you need to know that the answer to most prayers is not microwavable. We lived in a house without a microwave for the last two weeks. And so I was reacquainted with the microwave and how much I love the microwave because everything's quick. But that's not the way it often works. 
you see, we pray and I ask God to, to come to our rescue, to provide for our needs, and then it goes on, goes on for months, maybe even years, and God doesn't seem to be providing. But what we don't realize is God is answering the prayer. In fact, over here in another part, God has been working on the answer to the prayer. And eventually, three months later, six months down the later, all of a sudden the paths cross. And we realize God was answering the prayer, but he just didn't reveal the answer to the prayer till three months, six months, a year later. Don't give up. In fact, what does it say? Therefore, unless you um, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. See the process in there? As it is unfolding. Another point we need to take for prayer is this. We're supposed to pray about the needs of other Christians. He says, making supplication, that's for all the saints. In other words, the prayer chain is very biblical. When we asked you to put down your prayer requests on the cards, and then we counted a privilege to pray with you, pray for you on Monday morning, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. When prayers get sent out on the city, for us to pray corporately as, as a body for during the week. That is exactly what we're supposed to be doing to obey the Scripture, to pray for one another. Now, I don't have the answer on how this all works, but there is something, the Bible says, when two or three gather together and they join their hearts together in prayer, there is something very special about that. And I think about this, I think about Presley. Here we had not just a church, but churches around town, community, and even people around the globe knitting together to pray for a 14-year-old in her battle against cancer and her miraculously going from cancer markers that were off the chart to cancer markers that were below the chart and, and ultimately getting a liver transplant. How does this all happen? I really think God was supernaturally involved, hearing and responding to the corporate prayers of his people, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer does make a difference. And lastly, he says this, pray for my spiritual leaders. Paul says, and pray also for me, that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. One thing is you need to know that in a church, the ones with the biggest targets on them typically are the pastors, then the elders, and the leaders. And here is why uh, Satan and his demons scheme so sorely against them. Because if you can bring a pastor or a church leaders down and get them filled with pride, get them filled with selfishness or arrogance, you can bring a good portion of the church down with them. Now, I have been sort of quiet uh, in this section about my own personal experiences in spiritual warfare and things that I've seen happen. Because I, but I can tell you from firsthand experience that uh, Satan does scheme sorely to bring down pastors and leaders. And if he's successful at it, he crushes, crushes God's people in that church. So pray for your pastors and pray also that your pastors and those who are teachers would be able to articulate the gospel clearly and boldly, as Paul says here. 
uh, that God would use the gifts that they have in a very powerful way. Now, I began by telling you that I was going to close today with a challenge. The challenge is that we would wield in our life the Word of God and prayer. We'd be regularly practicing both of them because the Word of God is what uh, gives us strength in our trials and temptations. The Word of God is what creates spiritual life. It's what sustains our spiritual life. The Word of God is what we need in our life every day. And prayer... The Bible tells us to pray about all things at all times for everyone, praying constantly and that our prayers will make a difference. So here's my challenge for you. I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to affirm that challenge that you're taking it by standing. And we typically don't do that in crosswinds. But I think this is an appropriate challenge. The challenge is to commit from now to the end of July that we would pray for 15 minutes a day. I mean, literally use a clock so you don't shortchange yourself. The way I'm doing this right now is I set my alarm 15 minutes earlier. I get up, and rather than laying in bed, sort of uh, wondering about things, I pray for 15 minutes. Take that time. And the other challenge is that we would read one chapter of the Bible a day, and that we would memorize one verse of our choosing a week. And if you're looking for uh, some suggested verses, go to my website, Christ to Our Culture, and uh, look under the ministry blog or look under the answers to your questions section. I have a post up there called 40 Verses to Memorize During the Summer Months. I'll give you some suggestions of ones you can use. Now, the reason I'm going to ask you to stand if you take this challenge is because it's very good for us. Number one, it'll seal that challenge in our heart. Because when we stand in front of others in church, it seals our commitment. And number two, it'll be good for those around you. Because it'll encourage others to know that they don't stand alone if they make that commitment. That there are others who are standing with them to be regularly in the Word of God and in prayer. So, if you'll take that commitment for 15 minutes a day, one chapter, and memorize one verse a week, would you stand right now? I'm going to pray for you. Dear Jesus, I pray for those who have stood to take the challenge of getting regularly into God's Word and committing it to heart. I know that by standing, that they were uh, inviting, as it is, uh, almost Satan to scheme against them in their life, to derail them off the track. I pray that you would encourage them as they go through this next month to stay faithful in prayer and faithful in the Word. Uh, I ask that the Word of God would be especially active and just guiding them and leading them today. And if they, uh, if they skip a day or they miss a week, I pray that they would also not drop the commitment, but they pick it right back up again. And I pray that at the end of July, that this wouldn't be a commitment that stops, but it would be a habit that has begun. And so we are regularly in the Word of God in prayer and that we would you'd be using those in our lives mightily and powerfully. And so I pray this for everyone who is standing. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Now, I know a number of you are wondering, where are we going next now that we've finished the book of Ephesians? We're about ready to start a new series called Alternatives to Christianity. 
think Jeremy's going to put that up there. Now, uh, one of the things that has happened is many of us are Christians by default. We're Christians because we grew up in Iowa, and the churches are on all these different corners, and the problem is the world is getting bigger, and we find all these other religions out there, and we, you know, we're, if we grew up in India, would we be a Hindu? Hindu? And we start to wonder, you know, if I could take Hinduism and I could take Jesus and put them side by side, would I still choose Christ? What about Buddhism? If I could take Buddhism and put it side by side with, with Jesus and the, and the gospel, would I still be a Christian? What about Islam? It's one of the fastest growing faiths out there. Would I be a Muslim? If I looked at Muslims and Jesus together? What about some of the cults out there? Mormons. Would I be a Mormon? What about a Jehovah's Witness? Would I be a Jehovah's Witness if I could compare it objectively to Jesus? In this next series we're about ready to launch into, which would last about five to six weeks, we'll look at these alternatives to Christianity and compare them to the gospel message. And I trust that you will come away greatly encouraged in the truth of the gospel and confident in your faiths in the midst of the very pluralistic world we live in. Uh, let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for those who have made a commitment this morning. I pray that you would encourage them in their walk in Christ and as they try to memorize Scripture. And we thank you for this worship service, and we thank you especially for the book of Ephesians. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us. And may God continue to enrich your life.